365 days a year. Good afternoon and welcome to another edition of Money Talk. I'm Neil Kreisel and Diane Duver and I are your hosts every week right here on AM 1290, repeated at 11 and on Saturdays at 6. We're brought to you by Cornerstone, Cornerstone Home Lending, whose highly trained and experienced team takes great pride in helping people with home financing, offering competitive rates and a wide array of loan programs. American Riviera Bank, smart banking for smart people in Santa Barbara, at Figueroa and Anacapa Streets, and in Montecito's Upper Village. At Arlington Financial Advisors, a leading wealth management firm in Santa Barbara, providing its clients with the personal care and attention of a small independent firm, coupled with the vast resources of a major financial institution. Hi, Neil. How are you doing? Uh, I am exactly as I've been for the last three months. Uh, and is it bad that I'm talking to myself even when I'm not on the radio? Is that is that a bad sign? <laughs> well, we all got limits. At least, at least you're listening to yourself too. Well, I've been doing that for a few weeks, but what's bothering me now is I'm beginning to find myself interesting. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, enough about you. Let's introduce our guest. We are thrilled to welcome to Santa Barbara and the show, Jason Harris who is the city of Santa Barbara's new economic development manager. And the job was, one could say, created for him as he is the first person to hold it. So Jason, welcome to the show and welcome to Santa Barbara. Good morning. Thank you. I guess good afternoon now. Thank you. Um, so the first article is uh, from the Wall Street Journal and it's entitled Playing the Market Has a Whole New Meaning. Uh, by shutting down the economy, the, the, the virus unleashed a new generation of gamblers on the stock market. People, mainly young men, going stir-crazy from quarantine and lack of professional sports to bet on. As the Wall Street, as Wall Street bets community on Red Hit, the online platform users are encouraged to, quote, show off a brutal crushing loss when a user claimed to have lost roughly $750,000 trading options in just a few weeks last year, others posted such comments as GOAT, greatest of all time, and YOLO, you only live once. Uh, the, uh, as one uh, uh, investor expert said, they don't know what they're doing and they don't care. Um, and uh, they basically involve uh, not only crazy investing, but the comments on their on the websites are misogenic, misogenics, mis, mis, misogynist, misogynist, uh, homophobic and racist diatrobes among these, quote, uh, testosterone-drenched traders. And the reality is we've seen a great deal of speculation and the markets have swung dramatically over the last, actually, few days. It's been like a roller coaster ride. And some people are saying that part of this is just retail crazies. Now, we've always had retail incompetence. But there may be people out there that just are hungering for action. And with the proliferation of options that and derivatives that permit speculation on volatility, you've seen an increase in volatility a uh, hundredfold than we've ever seen before. And it's, it's interesting that... Yeah, it's ahead. interesting that you brought that article because, you know, I subscribe to the Wall Street Journal on my phone, and so, as does my husband. 
and he actually had that very article served to him. I did not. Isn't that interesting? Um, is it cheaper to get it just on your iPhone? Can you get it with paper too? Um, I do get it with paper, but at the office. So ah. my office copy, my office copy, the paper copy goes to the office, and I get the online version. Although now that you now that we talk about it, it has been three months, so maybe I should get that transferred over. But you know, the, the, a lot of all of the th theories about uh, managing money for the last sixty years has had as one of the uh, precepts, and this even goes back to. Uh, Samuelson's classic book, and even as far as Keynes, is that uh, people who participate in economic decision making are rational. Um, and uh, a lot of the theories are based upon the fact that people are acting rationally. Well, there are now a group of people, we don't know how many, but they certainly are not acting rationally, which leads me into the second article, which is in a way a companion piece. And it's entitled Hertz to sell shares while in bankruptcy. And Hertz is bankrupt. It's in bankruptcy. And what they have decided to do, because the shares shot up two weeks ago, even though they were in bankruptcy, is to offer a new common stock offering, uh, which, as far as the article was able to uh, discern, has never been done before. And um, there's... Uh, a new term in, and this goes to the first article as well, is a new term in which is called Robin Hood Investors, which is named after the website that uh, permits a lot of young people to invest without commissions. And Robin Hood Investors are basically young men who, like the first article said, are bored. Uh, they like action. And um, they're probably some of the people that are buying uh, a common stock which if the bankruptcy continues is guaranteed to be worthless. Now you talk about uh, exuberance uh, and you talk about a market that is crazy. Uh, buying stock in a bankrupt company for me is, is beyond the pale. It is beyond the pale. And, you know, part of it, you can chalk up to the betting, you know, at the online sports betting, I guess is closed, but the whole thing seems ludicrous. You know, how can people be that bored with unemployment at what at the at an all time high? Um, well, you know, the company is selling off its assets. It's selling cars now to the public. <laughs> so it it doesn't. Well, it, 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 that's my point. Like, it's one yeah. thing to buy a car. It's a different, a whole different matter to buy a defunct company's stock. Now, this is an interesting article because you know, if you look at the first two, there's this sense among certain people that they can. Uh, pick stocks better than anybody else. Um, and they also don't have to wear masks, it seems. But this is an article that has um, answered a question that a lot of people have been asking the last couple of years. And that is, is it a, is it a time to invest uh, in individual stocks rather than in indexes? And uh, this article appeared two days ago uh, in the New York Times. And it found that over the last um, uh, uh uh, five months, the S&P uh, indexes have outperformed uh, actively managed funds. So here we have a period where you've got everybody out there trying to do crazy things. And the index funds have actually done better than actively managed funds. Well, and I think part of the reason why that is, is you have the the growth stock domination that's been basically taking over the market for the last decade, where 
these growth companies, the, the FANG companies have been leading the charge. And because they're such large companies and they have such a large capitalization, these index funds own the most of those companies. And therefore the index funds have been doing um, better than actively managed because most most managers are trying to make a difference, trying to beat that index and therefore potentially underweighting those growth companies because they've just been on a tear for the last decade. And like all things that people think, rational people think that at some point it needs to come to an end. Uh, Good point. And uh, continuing this theme of crazy world, uh, this I know, article, God, you're stressing me out in this first this first segment, Neil. Well, it's giving, I think, some context to what we're seeing in the stock market now. and But this one is really beyond the pale. It's entitled, Investing Giants Seed Full Power to Vote. Now, this is something I didn't really realize happens. But when you sell, I mean, I knew about the fact that when, in order to sell a stock short, uh, Meaning that you're in, you're you're trying to participate in the mar- in in that stock's decline, you need to borrow the shares of stock from somebody because you just can't sell short uh, uh, naked, meaning without having the shares to actually sell. So um, when you lend shares, uh, you are able to get some some amount of interest because the person borrowing this the stock, the shares have to pay interest. Well. Uh, funds, fund companies have been so anxious, anxious to to, um, to get higher returns that in many cases, in, many, in some cases, BlackRock, Vanguard, Fidelity Investments um, have lent out so much of their of a particular stock to short sellers that they no longer have the right to vote because the voting power re- goes to the person that that has the shares. So now, first of all. When you lend shares to uh, someone going short, you're essentially helping somebody drive the price of a stock that you own down. So I'm not sure how that fits into your fiduciary responsibility. But second, the idea that um, you give up your voting rights in order to get a little bit of interest and the hedge fund who has borrowed the stock gets the voting rights is something I wasn't aware of. And they're saying that... uh, uh, some funds, and they give some examples, uh, own 40 to 50 percent of the shares of the shares voting rights in companies that are struggling, and therefore, you know, may not be in a position to have their shareholders rationally make decisions that could help the company. Um, well, and if you think about it, most short selling, most people when you sell short, they're borrowing from major institutions like, you know, the the big the big boys on Wall Street. And it normally doesn't have that much of an effect unless there is a run on selling short. Um, You're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 KZSB, and we'll be right back. For prospective homebuyers, one of the most important steps of the loan process is getting clear and honest information from someone who will speak plainly and truthfully about loan programs and options. I'm Kelly Marsh, Vice President, California, of Cornerstone Home Lending, where our highly skilled and experienced team takes great pride in helping clients obtain home financing with honest, knowledgeable, fast, friendly, and efficient service. As a Santa Barbara native who has spent the past 20 years in the mortgage industry and has closed over 4,000 loans, I'd appreciate the opportunity to earn your business and invite 
invite you to visit the kellymarshteam.com or call my office at 805-563-1100 to learn more about how Cornerstone Home Lending can help you determine the best way to manage mortgage debt to achieve a more stable financial future. Licensed by the Department of Business Oversight under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act. California Residential Mortgage Lending Act license number 41DB072220. California Financial Lending Law license number 60DB072528. Loan originator NMLS number 245822. Not a commitment alone. Equal housing opportunity. This is Mario Andretti. You know me as a race car driver, but I'm also a Meals on Wheels volunteer. I've raced against the sport's biggest personalities, but I've never met more vibrant, amazing people than the seniors served by Meals on Wheels. As a volunteer, you deliver a hot, nutritious meal and a friendly hello to someone just like your mother, grandfather, or next-door neighbor. These seniors are inspiring people with incredible stories to share, and they love to see you. The smiles you get back are priceless. Delivering with Meals on Wheels is easy, and you don't have to drive like me for it to be quick. You can volunteer your lunch break once a week or just once a month. With one in six seniors facing hunger and many more living in isolation, your lunch break can make a real difference. So, America, let's do lunch. Volunteer your lunch break at americaletsdolunch.org. This message brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by Cornerstone Home Lending. Since 1988, a mortgage banker and direct lender that believes in providing in-depth loan consulting to its customers in a personalized and honest manner. And we can be reached at 805-564-1290. Or you could email us at moneytalk1290 at gmail.com. So if you're just joining us, we have the pleasure of, ha- of welcoming to the show Jason Harris, who is the city of Santa Barbara's newest employee, the economic development manager. And you would think that the job was almost created for him, given that it, it, this is what he does. So Jason, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where did you originally grow up and how did you get into uh, city planning? Certainly. Thank you. Um, so uh, welcome to all. Uh, Jason Harris, I'm the city's economic development manager, as Diane uh, mentioned. I am uh, started in the city on March 30th, uh, two weeks into the pandemic um, stay-at-home orders. I transitioned uh, from a similar position in the city of Santa Monica, just down the coast. I was in that role for eight years. And then prior prior to Santa Monica, I was in the city of Phoenix uh, doing downtown development for that organization and revitalizing uh, downtown Phoenix, Arizona. Um, I have a master's in business and an undergraduate degree in economics. And, um, you know, I started into this profession. I served in the United States Peace Corps early, uh, early in my career in Costa Rica and um, stayed in country afterwards and uh, built a house and started a restaurant. And, and through that experience of just getting the regulations and going about the zoning and, and development process in a foreign country, I uh, kind of, you know, had to learn all of the specifics, kind of gave me insight as to how to facilitate that in the United States. When I came back to the States and got my master's, I, I focused in on that um, aspect of my career and have been doing it ever since. And uh, specifically have been focused on downtown revitalization, both in Phoenix, Arizona, and Santa Monica, California, prior to Santa Barbara. So how long were you in Costa Rica? Uh, I was there a total of five years. Wow. What part? Uh, I was uh, stationed in a, a very rural, small uh, village uh, on the Caribbean coast near Panama, 
uh, town called Coquelis, just south of Puerto Viejo. That's funny because before the show started, for all of you listening, Jason has a picture of a surfer behind him. And he asked me if I surf. And I said, the only time I surfed was in Costa Rica. And I didn't even know that. There story. you go. I figured it might, <laughs> it might come up. And it's already been useful. I've uh, had had a, a couple of interactions um, with Spanish-speaking speak, Spanish um, business persons. Uh, attended a Spanish workshop. I was on Radio Bronco uh, last week um, speaking about the outdoor dining um, program the city just launched with the uh, State Street closure. So my Spanish has come in handy, even though it's been uh, almost 30 years. So, so it was a little rustic, but uh, I, got, <laughs> I got my point across. Well, that's wonderful. So given that you started in the city during a pandemic, you know, what are your, you know, what, it, what actually would you say is your job and how do you intend to do it given you know, you, you kind of started at a, one could say a slight disadvantage or yeah. perhaps a, um, a different start than probably what you anticipated or anybody did for that matter. Yes, most certainly. Uh, no, I, I recruited into the position uh, end of last year and interviewed beginning of this year, all pre-pandemic and uh, closure order. Uh, the city uh, was interested in, in one, creating the position to have an interface uh, with the business community in, in, in City Hall. But uh, more importantly, really to focus on downtown revitalization, um, helping to uh, turn the tide. Obviously, State Street had been kind of languishing, uh, declining uh, retail sales um, and patronage to those business areas. But when I took, uh, took, in, uh, took in the city uh, two weeks into the pandemic, March 30th, you know, it was really a matter of triage and assisting where, where the greatest need was. And recognizing at that point, um, the only businesses that could operate were essential businesses. So, you know, the drugstores and pharmacies, uh, restaurants um, could, could still operate only in a takeout delivery method. And as I was evaluating kind of the business climate, recognizing we we're at, uh, at the peak of stay-at-home orders in, in stage one effectively, um, there was little to be done directly, but I started assessing and worked uh, closely with the mayor. The she organized an advisory committee of 20 business owners and business organizations to, to really triage and evaluate what, what the greatest need was at this ex, uh, specific time. And one of the things that came, came to light was anticipating that we would be moving into these stages of reopening of the economy started evaluating where we can make the greatest impact and help businesses reopen and recover as quickly as possible and ultimately to the economy at large. You know, I think the one thing about this pandemic that's illustrated to, to, to everyone is how, uh, how intertwined all aspects of our lives are, but the commerce, our schools, our businesses, how each really supports the other through generation of sales tax, supporting those government services, how businesses obviously employ folks, how the schools both educate our kids, but also provide childcare, uh, et cetera. Uh, and one of the first things we identified was the need to support the food service industry, food service uh, establishments, over 400 of those businesses throughout the city of Santa Barbara. And they're such a critical community of life, quality of life um, function, of not only help activate our commercial corridors, but obviously sales tax and employment for so many. And so the idea sprang to life. We were identifying uh, states that had opened earlier, uh, already kind of embracing this concept of allowing outdoor uh, dining 
uh, and we effectively suspended all regulations, closed State Street to facilitate that um, substantive core, but then uh, suspended the rules citywide to allow this. And, and uh, you know, we've taken on another initiative to uh, help jump spring the permitting regulation side uh, for, for retenancy of, of vacant spaces as they come online as well. So kind of just I answer the question and bring closure, just really looking to address uh, immediate needs now, uh, here to come uh, once the dust settles on pandemic and stay-at-home orders uh, to be refocused on an economic development plan and revitalization strategies for downtown. So it, it, let's pretend for a minute that the pandemic didn't happen. What would have, what, when you came in to, or when you accepted the position from, um, from Santa Monica and decided to come up to Santa Barbara, what would you have said your first 90 days would have entailed? Getting to know business owners and, you know, because effectively you're their arm of advocacy into government to kind of have government understand what they're saying. And as State Street closure has been something that's been talked about in the city for the last 20 years closing it to vehicle traffic and really opening it up into a promenade. And, you know, so far it seems as if it's been a, a smashing success. Um, I'm not sure what the city looks at in what metrics, if anything, that they're measuring on. Yeah, no, it's a, a great question. I'll kind of work back through, uh, through the question and a response. So the, you know, closure of State Street, one to kind of create a pedestrian public space. Um, we've been seeing this again across the country of recognizing so many people are at home uh, with their kids cooped up. Many places, uh, the parks have been closed. Fortunately, Santa Barbara with our lower density, uh, we were able to maintain park um, access um, throughout and, and same with the beaches. We never closed the beaches here. But um, the idea that the, the public wanted to go out and, and experience uh, uh, commercial life to a degree, but also just public space has led to, to that really immediate success of having a pedestrian corridor through the downtown and then in kind supporting all of those businesses. We've, I've been hearing anecdotal remarks. We haven't gotten the sales tax numbers in, but I've heard from businesses that were opened. Um, so we did this uh, the Friday, the 22nd, 24 hour notice, uh, right on Memorial Day weekend. We had businesses immediately jump at the at the opportunity to, um, you know, expand outdoor dining opportunities that did 70% more business this Memorial Day weekend during a pandemic than they did last year. So just to kind of give an anecdotal remark, uh, I think some of that is just the unique timing, right? That having a unique new open space, public space that, you know, only happens very infrequently, you know, as well, and also the pent up demands of all of and us. Pent up demand, exa exactly, exactly. So I think time will tell over time, um, you know, one, the approach that we go in to evaluate a, a potential permanent closure, uh, we're really interested in maybe testing and trying out the, the state street closure over the winter and just see what the dynamic and public interface of that space is um, during that time period. Yeah, and hopefully we're not going to be inundated with people from Los Angeles because we've been uh, told from various sources that a lot of the people that have been going to State Street the last few weeks, uh, particularly on the weekends, have been uh, people escaping what is a less safe environment down south. Yeah, no, we, we don't have any data to, to correlate that. I think that's uh, as much of a fear and concern than anything up until um, this past weekend, non-essential lodging was uh, prohibited. Um, so, you know, we, we don't have any uh, recollection or understanding that that may be the case. That being said, as I have seen articles, 
not generated by any uh, you know proponents uh, here, but positioning Santa Barbara as one of those stay staycation type of locations. And as we uh, do this travel uh, travel sentiment research, that is trending. Uh, people are more opt opting to travel. Uh, regionally and be a car, then take airfare and, and stay, uh, you know, internationally as it were, or maybe even out of state. So I think we'll, we'll see probably over time as, as uh, travel picks up that we'll see more regional travelers um, than, than probably international travelers for some time. And, um, you know, the lodging industry is one of those sectors that's probably more well positioned uh, because they're just a very cohesive industry group in uh, practicing the, you know, the essentials on public health uh, guidelines. In their You're listening practice. to Money Talk on the Santa Barbara News Press radio station. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Jeff Devine from American Riviera Bank. All of our customers were once just like you, stuck with a bank that kept charging more for less. But when they finally made the decision to change banks, American Riviera Bank made the move easy with mobile deposit, online banking, free use of every ATM in the country, and a level of customer service that other banks dream of. Come in and make the move today in our downtown Santa Barbara or Montecito Upper Village branches. American Riviera Bank, smart banking for smart people. The Santa Barbara Foundation, United Way of Santa Barbara County, and Hutton Parker Foundation are offering grants to individuals, families, and nonprofits affected by the COVID-19 pandemic. Here's Steve Ortiz from United Way. For individuals, we have specific classes of need. So that would be individuals who have lost wages would be one due to closures of, of their business. Uh, we're also supporting individuals who are finding hardship with childcare or educational expenses, and also individuals who are finding hardship just meeting their basic needs, and that's food, shelter, home, medical expenses. For the organization, uh, many nonprofits have lost their key source of revenue with many events and activities being canceled uh, during this time. We're really trying to serve and help the nonprofits who will be serving those most vulnerable in our community as these emergent needs keep coming about and changing as this crisis changes and develops as well. For grant details and application information, go to unitedwaysb.org or sbfoundation.org. Hey, let me ask you something. Would you seat your three-year-old child on a windowsill? Would you seat them beside a lit fireplace or by the deep end of a pool? One last question. Would you seat your child in a car seat that's not correct for them? Car crashes are a leading killer of children ages 1 to 13. Secure their future. Seat them in the correct car seat. For more information, visit safercar.gov slash the right seat. A message from the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by Arlington Financial Advisors, a leading wealth management firm founded on providing thoughtful, objective, and comprehensive financial guidance for families and entities who are seeking long-term financial confidence. And if you're just joining us, we have the pleasure of having Jason Harris, our new economic development manager for the city of Santa Barbara with us today. And before the break, we were talking about um, State Street and the temporary order that has allowed it to be closed to traffic and opened up to pedestrian and outside dining. Um, and what I asked him on the break, which I, I warned him that I'd ask him on air is, do you think that will, now that the city has allowed this temporarily to go forward, 
And he shared with me that it's only temporarily um, approved until September 8th to be closed. Will we ever be, will we ever go back to cars on state street? Because this feels like something the city, the people of the city have wanted um, it to be closed for quite some time. So Jason, what do you think? Do you think that it will stay open? It will close. Well, I, uh, I think that that is a question to, to be answered here uh, over, over the latter part of the summer as we transition and, and also balance and understand what is the new normal and what are the public health directives. Um, again, the, the principal function of this was to allow an expansion of outdoor dining and allow so many of the food service eateries on State Street to, to serve outdoor and really augment the limitation of the indoor service that they can provide. If that public health order is in effect uh, restricting the amount of indoor uh, dining, um, you know, we could see, you know, the, this, this council being motivated and, and willing to support those uh, food service establishments for some time. That being said, uh, if the city was looking to transition uh, permanently the, the closure of State Street for vehicular traffic, there's actually pretty significant um, environmental uh, land use type of work that needs to be done, some CEQA analysis. Uh, and some other functions. So conceivably that could con run concurrent uh, once council makes the determination. But I would say as at this stage, this is really triaging and addressing the kind of the public safety, public health orders um, that there's, it's being embraced by the community is, is kind of a double win. And I think the big test we'll see is really off season. The weather's nice and it's sunny and the days are long. You know, as we transition into the off season, uh, and days shorten, uh, et cetera. It'll be interesting to see what, if that space remains closed uh, for vehicular traffic, you know, how, how it's maintained. I, coming from a, a Santa Monica, where managing public spaces is a full-time job and, um, you know, dealing with the public nuisances of, of just all the conditions. I would have been, been very reluctant to create a substantial public space without uh, you know, the means and methods to manage it. Um, and so far we have not necessarily had to do any substantive intervention, uh, at this point, and it's effectively self-managing. We're putting signage out, uh, just reminding folks of some of the basic operational expectations on, and really discouraging what we've seen kind of the showboating of the bicyclist, young, young juvenile bicycle riders, um, showboating down state street. Um, but for the most part, I think people have been really, you know, managing the public space well or wearing face masks or maintaining social distancing parameters. Uh, all the businesses are operating accordingly. So, so I, I commend the public at large. Uh, Neil was asking earlier, just, you know, how many out of, out of town visitors are, are, are we having? And I said, you know, we just don't have data to, to identify that. But so far, I just looked to, to the public kind of um, management of the space and it's uh, everyone's behaving well and it's it's working as as I, one would idealize for, for years no. for, for for years people have been discussing uh, what we need to do and during the mayoral campaign several candidates were saying rather than reinvent the wheel let's look at communities that are similar to ours that have rejuvenated their downtown. And they looked at San Luis Obispo, they looked at Boulder, Colorado, and other places. And one of the commonalities was that they had an open air, uh, no car place. And there's a great place up in uh, Santana Row, up in San Jose. It, it seems a no brainer, 
But there's politics, and I don't know what the politics are about, but it seems that we were able to get this to happen, which seems to be working just because we had an emergency. Is there really a will in the political arena to, to actually do something which is not that radical because other people have done it for great success. And it's just, you know, just to me, the only way to get people to go down there is to um, make it fun and interesting. And this seems to be, you know, what other people, other communities have found really works. No, and I, I no, no disagreement. Uh, I think, you know, right now it's a, it's a novelty. And it's been closed really with no substantive program or, or form. You know, we've just closed the ends of the streets. And other than allowing outdoor dining, it's, it's just that. It's just public space. So there's no programming that's occurring there. There's no street furniture or other interventions. You know, we haven't added public restrooms or any amenities to service the public. And it's, it's acting in multiple forms. It's acting, acting as, as park space. People are coming out and physically, actively recreating. You see families coming out and, and using the street as, as a bike biking area. Uh, you see it used as a transportation corridor for bike um, bicyclists and pedestrians. It, it, it serves the function of supporting the outdoor dining and then just the general promenade. So I, I think really the question is, I don't think it's going to be a huge lift because it's shown uh, success, at least here at the high season, um, and, and of the novelty newness. But I think the bigger question down the road is, what, does, do all of those functions remain? Do we prioritize? What, what level of improvements do we look to support and add at a time when we really don't have a lot of resources? So I think those are the more substantive questions. They don't have to be answered uh, on the front end. It's just that I think maintaining the status quo that we have now would get old, stale, and, and not as useful and interesting, you know, in, in a number of months, in a number of years. And so we really need to, to make investment in, in, in management of the space. Um, uh, let's, let's say we decide on the, on the off season that it, that it doesn't work or, or it's just dead empty space. No one's using it when it's rainy season or what have you. Is it possible to just have summer hours? Is that something that the city is able to do or yeah. is it too many rules and regulations to do that? No, no, I, I think there's, you know, you could not have designed this street to be a flexible, either pedestrian, uh, you know, corridor and or just be a flexible street as it's been shown to be. I mean, it has no driveways. It only has the cross streets that cut through it. There's no driveways and there's no on-street parking. So there's no disruption. And, and it's, it's not a substantive, you know, uh, arterial street, you know, carrying large amounts of vehicles. It's really a, a slow cruising street. So for vehicular purposes, it's really not needed. Um, you know, it, it does create exposure for the businesses that are located there. Um, but as I mentioned, you know, that many are doing, you know, actually equally, if not stronger business than your, your years prior. So I think it's really kind of a long-term conversation. And what we're going to use this time period for is, is really start to evaluate the public usage and make note of that and, and get information. We'll obviously be evaluating kind of the, the quanti quantifiable information, sales tax, um, you know, returns, et cetera. The longer term will be interesting of how, how those vacant spaces retenant, what are the tenants that re, re um, distribute and how many of them are there for, you know, the new, the new purpose of the street. So I think, you know, there's an earlier question before about, you know, what I, what would I have been working on if I hadn't had a pandemic uh, to address? And that would have been looking to diversify the uses in downtown and 
and grow the tech sector that we have. Um, you know, I think pursue the interest of uh, higher, higher academics, uh, the number of universities that have been evaluating downtown presence. We've got a Nordstrom's that's going to be vacant. We have a vacant Macy's. So, I mean, there's some really large spaces that probably look to ultimately convert from large destination retail into something other. So there's a variety of, of long-term efforts and initiatives that we'll be pursuing to you know, keep downtown interesting and fun. It's a, clearly a destination, but also you know, diversify it so it's not singularly tourism and retail um, you know, need it to, to be a backbone of support of, of many of those business enterprises. You're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 KZSB, and we'll be right back. It's a fact. Successful wealth management is built on strategies that focus on the big picture, take a long-term view, and establish deep and valued relationships. Hello, I'm Diane Duva, founding partner at Arlington Financial Advisors, Santa Barbara's trusted family guide, empowering you to make more informed and confident decisions. At Arlington Financial Advisors, we bring order and balance to your financial life by monitoring and managing risk so you can focus on your work, family, and enjoying the moment. We are a fully independent firm offering strategic financial planning, estate and tax planning, and private money management. Our plans and portfolios are handcrafted using a rigorous and disciplined approach, supported by a consistent yet highly personalized client experience. Our clients look to Arlington Financial Advisors as a home away from home, a comfortable place to protect what they've accomplished while they prepare for what comes next. Please visit ArlingtonFinancialAdvisors.com or call me, Diane Duva, at 805-699-7300. One in three adults in America have prediabetes, but most don't know it. To let people know it can be reversed before it becomes type 2 diabetes, professional basketball player Julius Randle is doing everything in reverse. I'm only dunking with reverse windmills. I drove the whole way to practice in reverse. I don't recommend it. This move's called the reverse shuffle. I do recommend it. And it took me months to learn how to speak in reverse, like this. <clears throat> Here's 10 almost for diabetes type 2 with living Ben has my mom. In other words, my mom has been living with type 2 diabetes for almost 10 years. So together, we want to say to the 84 million Americans at risk, exercise and healthy eating can help reverse prediabetes. Start by taking a simple one-minute risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. <laughs> Bet he can't say that in reverse. Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by American Riviera Bank, making your life easier with cutting-edge technology, mobile deposits, free use of every ATM machine in the country, and level of service other banks can only dream about. You know, if it weren't for the virus, you also would be faced with the headwinds against brick and mortar stores. And so the demise of Nordstrom's and Macy's is not a one-off. The whole country is suffering as people uh, are favoring uh, online shopping. And, you know, with the virus, it may be that people are going to be even more likely to want to shop online. So how what kind of initiative do you think would be successful to fill up the empty stores and, and keep uh, retail vibrant, which is so important to attract visitors? Certainly. So 
you know, a couple of things, uh, you know, first off, we, we, you know, it's been identified um, and, and it's no secret that the city has a cumbersome and not the most efficient permitting process. And so there's a number of initiatives underway that are getting going right now to really start to address those issues. So just to ensure that when a business is interested in, in occupying uh, a property that they're, they're not having, you know, months of delay of getting their permits approved and building out the tenant improvements. So that's, that's kind of foremost. Uh, now, does that fall under your purview and your new role, Jason? It, it, it doesn't directly, but I do look to be an advocate and a facilitator, both um, to give kind of outside perspective um, coming from Santa Monica that similarly has a lot of regulatory restrictions and process. We'd been going under making improvements and, and finding streamlining the process and, and looking to find the balance of, you know, I, I always have to remind folks that, you know, the regulations, uh, they're, they're, they've been put in place through generations of effort. Uh, and mostly been driven by, uh, you know, resident need and, and concerns to address, you know, various activities that are happening in the community. So both, I think it's revisiting, you know, sometimes those go afar and, and become overly bureaucratic, uh, recognizing what are the core functions that, that the residents are expecting, right, to, to maintain you know, um, you know, the, the quiet uh, enjoyment of, of the residents and, and have, you know, safe places to, to shop and dine, et cetera. So first and foremost, you know, addressing the permitting issues uh, are, are underway and, and hopefully we'll facilitate uh, speeding that process up. Secondly, I think just the success of State Street is showing that downtown needs to be more than just a retail destination. Um, you know, retail, the brick and mortar retail, you know, is not dead, but it's clearly suffered uh, nationally, one by it being overbuilt, which Santa Barbara can, is a representative of that. It's been identified there's probably more than half a million square feet of excess retail in, in Santa Barbara. And I would probably say most of it's probably in, centered around the downtown area. Um, but then secondarily, you know, the, the traditional retail is, is transitioning um, fairly dramatically and, uh, you know, online retail, et cetera. And so I think it's a combination of diversifying the mix of uses, both retail uses, but other activities we have in downtown. I think bringing in more office and higher academics to just bring in greater influx of patronage uh, is, is going to be key. And then probably the most dramatic, and it's starting to initiate and, and the city's gonna further initiatives in this area is housing. Uh, we've got a housing project at the 400 blocks, so just one block north of the 101, um, just getting going through the entitlement effort. And there are cities modifying its housing program in downtown to bring and incentivize just through land use, uh, greater amount of, of housing. And once we have housing in the immediate core, we obviously have the neighborhoods in adjacency to downtown, but right, maybe not right on State Street, but you know, half a block off. That really creates a substantive different dynamic because now you have residents that are starting to support businesses from a residential standpoint, just like you would on Mesa Road or Upper State Street or on Milpas, where you have neighborhoods serving commercial uses uh, in, in, as a part of the mix. So I think when you bring all those three of those components and then when social distancing and the public health orders subside, uh, I think probably the most dramatic is bringing in new opportunities for the public to engage downtown through more programming and event activity and not the kind of big, big events. So I'm talking kind of just 
you know, maybe your school, uh, your school uh, music, instead of having the recital at school, maybe they have a recital uh, in one of the plazas off of State Street on a weekend, for instance, or uh, a school play in a public space, or some just interesting ways to engage community groups to use downtown in, in maybe non-traditional ways. And now if we have a, a large public space like State Street uh, to work off of, that may become uh, more of the norm going forward. So I think just taking all a variety of those efforts uh, just to bring a greater uh, diversity of activity than just uh, retail uh, shopping in the traditional sense. What's your view on parking? One of the things that some cities have found is that when you require parking, when you build a residential unit, uh, building, you're not only making it more difficult to build, you're also incentivizing people to have cars. What about the idea of loosening up the requirement to have parking and making it more likely that it will be used by people who are working in the downtown area? Yeah, that's, that's a great question, Neil. Um, you know, I think parking, it, it's, uh, cars aren't dead, but I think the, you know, the substantive use and expectation that you're going to have a car uh, and you need a car uh, is, is on the decline, both with Uber and Lyft, but then you know, uh, we're seeing a whole new generation exposed to, to bicycling and, and, you know, bike transport that I, I think there should be a decoupling. We did that in Santa Monica in the downtown um, uh, specific plan that was adopted. They, they passed that with no parking requirement. Most finance, most projects to be financed, the financiers, the, the banks and the pensions and, and the investment trusts that are going to put money into a project, they're going to want to see parking. Uh, if, if there's specific uses such as residential, such as uh, office, there is going to be an expectation by the folks financing those developments that there is parking to supply. So I think the city's requirement from an entitlement standpoint is really secondarily required. So, so given all of that and, you know, what's going on with kind of the revitalization, do you see that, um, actual residents will will reside on um, State Street? Yeah, I think seeing uh, residential development transition uh, right on State Street, I mean, it's still a commercial corridor. And, and you can have mixed-use development where residential is uh, on top of, you know, mixed-use, be it uh, retail ground floor or maybe even some office. Um, so it, I wouldn't say it's infeasible and there, and there actually is uh, residential on state street uh, as well. So it's not that it's, you know, doesn't happen today. Um, you know, it's, it's all really a matter of land assemblage and economics. So, you know, this AUD program that's being updated are the economics of that program based upon the, you know, limited heights, um, fairly limited density um, enough to change the underlying economics of land ownership and construction um, pricing to be able to build housing um, versus, you know, keeping that property used for retail or, or office, as it were. So I, I think there's some underlying expectation as to there might be a public use or a use that's idealized, but if the economics can't justify it, then we won't, we won't see it materialize. You're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 KZSB, and we'll be right back with our final segment. Hi, I'm Jeff Devine from American Riviera Bank. 
All of our customers were once just like you, stuck with a bank that kept charging more for less. But when they finally made the decision to change banks, American Riviera Bank made the move easy with mobile deposit, online banking, free use of every ATM in the country, and a level of customer service that other banks dream of. Come in and make the move today in our downtown Santa Barbara or Montecito Upper Village branches. American Riviera Bank, smart banking for smart people. For prospective home buyers, one of the most important steps of the loan process is getting clear and honest information from someone who will speak plainly and truthfully about loan programs and options. I'm Kelly Marsh, Vice President, California, of Cornerstone Home Lending, where our highly skilled and experienced team takes great pride in helping clients obtain home financing with honest, knowledgeable, fast, friendly, and efficient service. As a Santa Barbara native who has spent the past 20 years in the mortgage industry and has closed over 4,000 loans, I'd appreciate the opportunity to earn your business and invite you to visit the thekellymarshteam.com or call Call my office at 805-563-1100 to learn more about how Cornerstone Home Lending can help you determine the best way to manage mortgage debt to achieve a more stable financial future. Licensed by the Department of Business Oversight under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act. California Residential Mortgage Lending Act license number 41DB072220. California Financial Lending Law license number 60DB072528. Loan originator NMLS number 245822. Not a commitment to loan. Equal housing opportunity. Remember, one less spark is one less wildfire. Have fun without fire. In many areas, use of campfires and charcoal cookers are not allowed. Make that an advantage. Stargazing is better without firelight. Or listen to the forest at night when creatures really prowl. Hike in the moonlight with a flashlight. Bundle up and enjoy the warmth while sensing the chill that wild things feel. Make camping different this weekend and camp without a spark. The California Statewide Fire Prevention Campaign thanks you for your cooperation. Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by Arlington Financial Advisors, a leading wealth management firm founded on providing thoughtful, objective, and comprehensive financial guidance for families and entities who are seeking long-term financial confidence. So, Jason, you know, as as we kind of come full circle and we're in our last segment, um, what ideas or what fresh ideas do you think that you can bring to the Santa Barbara community that will help turn our uh, small business, um, you know, community around and, and anything that you want to share. I'm sure it all got thrown on its head with the pandemic, but anything that you think is still um, viable? You know, no, I, I, um, I bring a lot of experience from a variety of communities. Um, ultimately, I think it's, it's this community that, that really will need to, to inform me as to what it's, it, what it idealizes and what it's looking I can bring a lot of suggestions and, and, and approaches that, that may make sense. Ultimately, you know, Santa Barbara needs to be authentic. It needs to be itself. It needs to represent uh, what, what it has to offer. And uh, I think there's a variety of ways to, to tell that story. Um, and I always encourage businesses to look to utilize the tools that are available. Um, it's amazing, you know, with social media now, there's a great marketing engines then uh, they're effectively free and should be utilized to their maximum. Um, telling the story, we've got amazing assets. I think this community is so well positioned to be successful going forward. And I think we're going to come out of this pandemic, um, you know, hopefully better than when we went in and, and definitely stronger. This is a community that's faced resiliency with the Thomas fire to reflow here in recent past and, and, you know, has stepped 
step forward and stepped above that. And I, I see it doing similar with, with this current crisis. Um, but it doesn't minimize the, the impact that this has had, and it will probably take quite some time to, to fully recover. Um, so we're just looking to get positioned and, and minimize the damage that we're taking now and, and help all the businesses uh, reopen and recover as quickly as possible. Now, there's some, um, there are some businesses open and some businesses not. Many of the national retailers still haven't opened in our community um, do you see that as a sign that they're going to reopen or is that a sign that they're evaluating whether or not to pull out as a Santa Barbara? You know, that's that's a great question. I, I think those that have given notice, um, be, it, be it they're already in bankruptcy or already retrenching or repositioning like Nordstrom's, um, you know, we've seen other businesses like Forever 24 already, you know, under bankruptcy and, and close their stores. So I think some of that action is already playing out. For some of those other retailers that aren't in, you know, financial duress uh, as a company, the fact that they haven't reopened, it, it is a question mark in my mind. I, I would think now that retail is is available to open and most of California is, is transitioning to, to that basis. Um, so that might be a little telling um, and a little worrisome if I still see uh, various businesses uh, not reopen, that that, um, that that might be, you know, a question mark. Right. And, it, and it's true for national chains as well as locally owned restaurants that aren't open. You know, it makes me wonder when we were in the um, Thomas fire and we, we lost out on commerce during that last month of the year, there were many businesses that didn't reopen. And at the beginning of this we, uh, pandemic, a shutdown, I should say, um, you know, we heard that 80, they were anticipating 80% of the hospitality industry not reopening. Given our, our sizable dependency upon hospitality, how do you think that's going to play in a, in a clip because we're almost yep. out of time? Well, um, we are out of time. Uh, <laughs> we'll just have to hold on in suspense for your next visit. Thank you so much for not only being on the show, but for being here and helping us uh, become even a bigger and better city. You've been listening to Money Talk. We'll see you next week. It's three.